Welcome into this week's edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast alongside SunDevilSource.com publisher Chris Cartman. I'm your host, Kerry Crowley. Chris, this week we will continue our Pac-12 preview series, finishing it off with a look at the Pac-12's linebackers and defensive back units, look around the conference to provide broader overall context of where Arizona State stands compared to its peers. But first, news broke late last week that Arizona State junior safety Armand Perry had announced a medical retirement from football. Perry electing to call it quits. He battled a slew of different injuries throughout his career at ASU, and Perry ultimately making the decision late this spring, heading into the summer, that it's time to call it quits with the sport of football. So we recorded the linebackers and defensive backs ranking series before Perry announced his retirement, but we did want to start off the episode by throwing to our segment with our discussion and breakdown of how Armand Perry's injury and how his medical retirement impacts Arizona State's secondary moving forward. So before we move on to our rankings, we'll toss it over to that segment. We must discuss the recent news of Armand Perry's decision to medically retire from the Arizona State football program. Perry was expected to be a starter on the Sun Devils defense, the top returning defensive back for ASU, a team leader, one of the players that Todd Graham was depending on to help revitalize the secondary this season after he battled injuries throughout the 2016 campaign. And Perry has decided that the injuries were too much and he's calling it quits. Really, he's been injury prone. Uh, unfortunately for Armand Perry throughout his entire ASU career. He had uh, the earlier season derailed after two games because of the ankle injury that he suffered, um, just coming up to make a tackle and and untouched. Uh, Then last year he had uh, myriad injuries, really. The the turf toe was reported on and known about. Uh, I didn't find out that he had also a shoulder labrum tear and a hip labrum tear until after the season. I found that out, I think, in January, uh, but it was told to me off the record. I was never able to get it sourced to be able to report that. Um, And I had heard that he had the surgeries and was trying to come back, and I think that just in recent weeks it became clear that that wasn't really going well Um, and, and that maybe he figured that the likelihood of just getting re-injured was very high and he's got other pursuits and passions. Uh, he's very into music and uh, culture and things of that nature. Uh, so he decided he wanted to go in a different direction with his life. It's hard to blame him at this point, just given what he's kind of already been through physically. Um, how that affects ASU this season is very significant because the Sun Devils, as everyone knows, as we've well documented, the worst team in the country uh, among major conference schools in the last two years uh, against the pass, maybe one of the worst defenses uh, overall nationally, um, uh, run pass, whatever. And Armand Perry is one of three returning players that ASU has in the secondary that it was really counting on who have a lot of experience to try to help solidify that group under a new leadership with uh, Phil Bennett, who's taken over the coordinator job, uh, along with Kareem Orr and Marcus Ball being the other two players. Um, the absence of Kareem Orr, I mean, uh, Armand Perry now, is going to uh, even further limit the options that ASU has in terms of where they can move guys and how they can figure out how to get your best five defensive backs on, on the field. 
It hurts from a uh, from a, a talent standpoint. It hurts you in terms of your competitive depth. Uh, what happens if you have additional injuries? Remember last year, not just Armand Perry, but Kareem Orr was injured, missed a couple games. Uh, Marcus Ball has had uh, injury and illness issues throughout his career. Um, Jamarcus Rhodes, Maurice Chandler, other guys that had issues. Uh, so ASU really is in a challenged position right now that it's kind of you know trying to have to, uh, to work through. You look at this ASU defensive backfield, and during the spring it was Chad Adams playing the field safety position for a lot of uh, the reps that ASU had. And ASU coaches were very pleased with Chad Adams, but we'd frankly assume that he would either bounce back to the boundary safety spot or ASU would flip Perry around and put him in a different role in the starting defense. And now it appears as though it's Adams or no one else in that in that free safety role. I, I didn't think that Chad Adams was going to be a starter um, ahead of spring football going into 2017. Main reason is because uh, he started multiple games in 2015, started multiple games in 2016. And in each instance, uh, he was demoted and rather aggressively demoted at times to where he wasn't even in the two deep in following weeks. Um, and so I thought maybe that there had been enough of a body of work as he goes into his senior year that they would, a lot of times they sort of say, okay, you had your opportunity. Now we're going to play younger players. Well, ASU doesn't really have other guys. And so, um, that presents this opportunity for Chad Adams. Of course, Phil Bennett was very effusively positive about his experience with Chad Adams. And one of the things that Bennett said to me was he thinks that he'll be able to put Chad Adams into uh, better situations for him to be successful. And that's um, with a lot of the defensive calls that are made. And whether or not that comes to fruition, we're going to find out because, as you said, there's not really a solid option that they have there uh, beyond that other than perhaps moving all the pieces on the chessboard around by sliding Creamore back to the field side safety position that he started at as a true freshman. But if you do that, then you have to find op two guys at corner yeah, to be able I to play. I just don't see that being the case. And that's, it's unlikely. I, I just want to go back to the month of August before the 2016 season for ASU. We had Armand Perry on this podcast, and he talked about the recovery process from the ankle injury that he suffered back in 2015 at the beginning of the season against Cal Poly. And I really thought that that was one of the best interviews that we had it was great. Uh, on the podcast. Perry was uh, very forthright in telling us that he had to learn how to walk again. And so that was his 2015 injury. And then to go through a 2016 season where he plays with turf toe, where he's got the two torn labrums, you can see why he made this decision because clearly it was going to take a significant toll on him for him even to be able to get into the position where he could compete on the field again. Yeah. It, it, you feel bad for a guy who has what he describes as the worst injury by far of his life that he has to come back from. It takes a number of months to be able to do that. And then within a number of months after that, he's got multiple equivalent or maybe even worse injuries. Uh, torn hip labrum is not mm -hmm. something you want to have to deal with. A shoulder labrum is the type of injury that stays with you as a football player. Normally you have a, a, a bad shoulder that is becomes a chronic problem that you have throughout your career, at least for some extended stretch of time. Turf toe is something that guys mm -hmm. have uh, overlap one season into another. To have all three of those injuries, we were talking privately because we you know knew about this without being able to report it, and we were saying 
Armand Perry's probably not going to be able to be his normal self no, on, on the field. At least in, not for a full season. In 2017. And, and you know, knowing that he really has just two more years left of football, it's understandable. And, and you know, you never know how somebody's going to feel at this age in a year. You know, maybe he decides. There's Thomas Tyner at Oregon running back who's now starting over after medical retirement at Oregon State. Correct. Well, how about... Uh, Utah having a running back come out of retirement last year to be Joe the, Williams. Joe Williams, the best running back in the league in the last two months of the season last yeah. year. So, so it happens, and we don't know, you know, where Armand Perry is going to be at now. If ASU does uh, turn in the paperwork to make him a medical non-counter for the, as it relates to his scholarship, that means that he wouldn't be able to return at ASU. Mm-hmm. So, so what there's a decision that has to be made here, which is do you continue to have him count against your 85 scholarship count? And in the event that maybe a year from now he decides, Hey, I want to come back and play. Or do you, do you just say, Hey, we're going to try to utilize that ride. There's more value in having that scholarship. And so we're going to turn in the medical the paperwork. I don't know yet what ASU is going to mm-hmm. do there. Um, I don't think that's they have some time. Yeah, they have some time. I don't think that's necessarily the easiest decision. Um, now, we're not going to get into the weeds on this here, but from a scholarship standpoint, I can see them going in either direction. Exactly. I think that both both ways are certainly feasible for ASU, but Perry announcing his decision via Twitter, and we, we do wish him all the best now that yes. he's medically retired. He was always a great interview with us, always talked to us, and that that's difficult for defensive backs at ASU because they didn't exactly have an easy road of it the last two seasons. For sure. I already reached out to him, and he said that he was going to be willing to talk about his experience at some point in the near future. So hopefully we'll be able to get him on another podcast or at a minimum write about um, the totality of his experiences at ASU. And, and, and by the way, Kerry, uh, extremely gracious mm-hmm. in, in the message that he had. Uh, thank the university, thank fans, thank Todd Graham, the every administration, coach. every coach. Um, a, a very classy in, in the way, in, in the message that he put out upon this decision that he made. And I, and I know that he put a lot of thought into doing this you know, waited for a period of what, five, six months after the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't really blame anything that happened here. And just, uh, he deserves a salute. Chris, we're continuing our Pac-12 preview series this week with a look at the conference's linebackers and defensive backs. So far, we've ranked quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, linemen on both sides of the ball. And now we're ready to finish off the defensive side. Of course, we started this series really to give a preview of the Pac-12 and to put into perspective in broader context where Arizona State's position groups stand compared to their peers in the Pac-12. Really enjoyed doing this series so far and excited to finish off the position groups today. Let's get it going. This is the, uh, I love the linebackers. I think the linebackers are one of my favorite positions to watch in the Pac-12. There's some good players coming back, ready to talk about some of these guys. So I had the first pick on the offensive line draft, and uh, you had the first pick on the defensive line draft, and we both took Washington for those drafts. You took uh, the Huskies' defensive line, even though we classified Azeem Victor as a linebacker, yep. and we, uh, we classified that defensive end, buck linebacker position for the Huskies as a linebacker. And guess what? 
Washington is loaded enough on defense that I'm going to kick off this draft by picking Washington as the top linebacker unit in the conference. They return Azeem Victor, first-team All-Pac-12 player. They return Keyshawn Bieria, sideline-to-sideline roamer at the linebacker position. He was second-team All-Conference. They return Travis Bartlett, DJ Beavers, and Ben Burkiven. Beavers had 40 tackles, Bartlett 26, and Burkiven had 44. It's a group with incredibly solid depth, and Chris Peterson should once again have a solid front seven in that defense. We agree. I thought it was a no-brainer pick to have Washington there. Uh, the strength of Washington's top seven, as evidenced through these rankings, is, has become very uh, obvious. Uh, the Huskies do lose a lot on the back end, and that's going to be where their question marks lie on, on defense, as we'll get into later on in the podcast. But the Huskies, uh, pretty straightforwardly, I think, are, are number one. Uh, the, only, the only possible competitor to... Washington would be USC Mm -hmm. and and I picked USC second the main reason of course is Cameron Smith the inside linebacker everybody knows him really well at this point he's had a couple good seasons under his belt Um, came out of the the um, saddle just blazing um, as a freshman uh, overshadowed two other higher rated prospects that the that USC signed as linebackers it's proof that instincts and football intelligence really set you apart um, on the football field but probably linebacker as much as anywhere and Cameron Smith is the, the, the guy who best exemplifies that I think in the league of course he's not the only guy they have USC's always got a lot of talent uh, Nuusu is uh, a really good player somebody who's a starting experience and and is very sound in executing what they're trying to accomplish John Houston for the recruiting fans was a former five-star a recruit ASU uh, tra- really tried hard to get him in the fold he visited uh, of course USC is a hard team to overcome and then Christian Herrera is a guy to watch there um, didn't really play a huge role last year but the Trojans only lost Michael Hutchings uh, and, and that's an, uh, a well-coached defense I think they're they're going to really uh, be very talented and, and capable this season. Yeah, Cam Smith's one of my favorite players to watch in the conference. Just a great run stopper all over the field. And like you said, such an instinctual player. And he was second team all conference last season, was probably right on the bubble for a first team spot. So he should clearly be a first team all conference preseason player this year for the Trojans. So Washington goes first, USC goes second. And I'm going to take Stanford third here. I'm high on okay. David Shaw's linebacker corpse. I really like what the Cardinal have to offer. Joey Alfieri was an outside linebacker last year. He's moving to inside linebacker. He had 51 tackles last season, 10 for a loss. Bobby Okarecki had 39 tackles last season. He's a pass rusher off the edge. Uh, you've got Sean Barton, who was solid last season. Mustafa Branch played well. Uh, and then when I was reading about the Cardinal, David Shaw is very high on freshman Curtis Robinson, who had a big spring. And if you're contributing in the spring for Stanford, it says a lot about the potential of uh, of your and your ceiling as a player. So I think that if Robinson's able to put it together if that Alfieri move from outside to inside goes well for the Cardinal I think that they should have one of the top inside linebacker corps yet again and that's really been a hallmark of their defense uh, since the Harbaugh Shaw era really began well Stanford's really well coached obviously and I think there's uh, never going to be a low floor from that group as a yeah um, in the fourth slot my second pick I'm gonna take ASU um, there, there's, there's some competitiveness here, and I thought about one or two other schools, but given that we put Karan Crump with the linebackers as that double backer position, and, and 
his potency as a pass rusher, maybe the top returning pass rusher purely in, in that regard in the league, certainly right up there at the top. I think combined with what ASU has from veterans, uh, Christian Sam and DJ Calhoun, it makes a lot of sense. Of course, Christian Sam last year had the ankle injury that, that derailed the season even before they got to Pac-12 play. Um, he's really talented, one of the best NFL prospects on the ASU roster, somebody who's versatile. Uh, Keith Patterson really pined to have Christian Sam in his lineup last year when they uh, were limited and had a lot of issues. DJ Calhoun, the book is still out on as far as whether or not he's going to be able to elevate his play and be a solid every down player for ASU. Got to become a better tackler, a little bit more fundamentally sound. Uh, but there's definitely some positive attributes and he has experience on his side. Uh, they don't have a, a lot of depth there. Uh, the, the Sun Devils, of course, uh, haven't played hardly any guys. You have Kalen Thomas, Malik Lawal, uh, Dion Guignard is another option. But I think if you have an injury there, you start to have some, some, some questions, and that's maybe uh, why you could theoretically have, uh, or conceivably, I should say, have ASU lower than fourth. But that's, that's where I picked the Sun Devils. So ASU off the board with that fourth pick. I think that's really the right spot to take the Sun Devils there. And with the fifth selection, Chris, I'm going to take Oregon. I really like what the Ducks have to offer and the players that they return this year, especially Troy Dye, who had an outstanding season as a freshman last year for Mark Helfrich. He'll transition to the Willie Taggart era, and I think he'll benefit from the coaching of Jim Levitt, the defensive coordinator for the Ducks, who comes to that program from Colorado, had a big season with the Buffaloes last year. And Dye is paired, of course, with Jimmy Swain, who's one of the best complimentary linebackers in the conference. 77 tackles a season ago for Swain. They've also got A.J. Hodgkins in that group, Hodgkins had 35 tackles, two and a half for loss, and a sack as well. And then Kaulana Apelu had 28 tackles. So it's a group that gets a little deeper as you go along. Oregon, of course, has recruited well through the past few years, just hasn't translated it to on-field success. And I think that you'll start to see Oregon's defense take a huge step up over the next two seasons if they can build some continuity and if the players really buy into the system that Jim Levitt brings to the Ducks program. Yeah, I, I like Oregon's talent as well there. Uh, that's where I had the Ducks slotted. Uh, sixth overall pick, uh, linebacker, I went with Colorado. And you uh, might be surprised by that because, of course, they lose Kenneth Olegbode and, and Jimmy Gilbert. Um, they might have been as good as anybody at linebacker last year overall. Uh, but but losing those two guys was, was, was big. Gilbert was a first-team player. Um, but they, they return a lot. And uh, a sign of what Colorado had from a talent standpoint last year, uh, Addison Gillum didn't even start despite being uh, earlier in his career, a regular starter. He was a, a all-freshman player in the Pac-12. Then as a sophomore, I think he was a 10 or, or, or so game starter. He had an injury, a pretty serious injury, that kind of derailed his career and allowed a couple other guys to pass him on the depth chart. But uh, he played a lot off the bench, and, 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 and Rick Gamboa uh, was a second on the team in tackles last year, 76 tackles. I thought he was a really solid player. You, those two guys on your interior, you're going to be pretty solid at linebacker. I don't see how that's anything less than a middle-of-the-road uh, group, and that's why I picked the buff six. Yeah, it was interesting dynamics for Colorado last season because they had so many players. Uh, and we'll talk about this when we talk about their defensive backs, like Tedrick Thompson, uh, Chidobe Awuzie, who were 
three four-year starters for that program. Mike McIntyre started them right out of the gates when they were freshmen and sophomores, and then they really developed into one of the best teams in the conference last year, winning the Pac-12 South. But you started to see the effects of McIntyre's recruiting takeover as players like Gillum was was a backup. Gamboa, who was a young guy, started over him, and uh, you just saw that that group really evolved for Colorado. So they're off the board with the sixth overall pick. With the seventh pick, there's a bit of a dilemma here, and we talked about this before we started the podcast. Do you take Washington State or do you take UCLA here? I'm going to take Washington State because I like the depth of the Cougars group a little bit more than I do for the Bruins, even though UCLA does boast Kenny Young. Washington State has Peyton Polaire, Isaac Dotson, and Dylan Hansen, Dylan Hanser returning at rush end, as well as Frankie Louvu. Polaire had 93 tackles last season, 7.5 for loss. Dotson had 64, and Louvu had 46. So I like that trio of linebackers coming back. The Cougars don't lose much defensively this year. They uh, do lose Shalom Luani uh, in the defensive backfield, but that doesn't obviously impact the linebacker group. We did rank Hercules Mata'afa as a defensive lineman because he's in a three-point stance quite frequently, so that would not take their ranking and change it a little bit if we considered him a linebacker, but I'll slot Washington State comfortably at seventh, and having a group like that with three guys back at seventh shows the depth in the Pac-12 at linebacker. Yeah, I thought that was a toss-up with UCLA. I picked UCLA in that ace spot. Kenny Young is a uh, is uh, got a great motor. He's everywhere on the field. Ninety tackles last year in total. Eight point five for loss. He's a good blitzer. He plays sideline to sideline. Um, he's a stabilizer, and, and they're going to need that from him this year because around him, there's not really a lot of, of proven talent. You do have Josh Woods, who was a part-time player. Uh, Deshaun Holiday is a, uh, was a uh, player who was expected to be an impact recruit. Seems like now he's going to get the opportunity. And then uh, Chris Barnes is also there. Uh, there's a lot of questions about just the overall depth of, of that unit and, and what it looks like after Kenny Young. But he's such a good player that he sort of uh, 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 buoys them from not, not dropping any lower than um, that, that middle to second, uh, third of the, of the league. So after UCLA, I'm going to take another Pac-12 South team, and I'll go with the Utah Utes, who return David Luafatasaga and Sunia Tautoli, as well as Donovan Thompson. He rounds out that position group. Tautioli had 57 tackles last season, two interceptions. Luafatasaga had 52 tackles. He's back, five tackles for loss. Thompson was a depth guy for the Utes with 12 tackles. Uh, Utah running a 4-3 really defensively. They do lose so many players up front. Pita Taumoa Panu, Hunter Dimmick, uh, just Utah is losing a lot defensively, and we'll cover that when we talk about the defensive backs, but their linebacker unit should be the stabilizer of that defense, at least at the beginning of the season. So those few guys are back, and I'll take them ninth. Well, I wasn't going to take them regardless because then I would have had to pronounce all the Polynesian names. Right? <laughs> it's uh, become a theme of, a, of yeah. our show. Who can get the most Polynesian names correct? You, you can always get the great uh, Polynesian teams with a lot of value when we, <laughs> when, when, when we do these. Okay. Um, no, so we're now getting kind of down to the bottom of the barrel once again. Same three teams usually y at the bottom. Yeah, you're going to see that happening, and it's um, maybe cause for concern for these teams as they go into the season. I'm going to take Cal 10th, uh, primarily because of Devontae Downs. I think he could play, he could start on most of these teams. Um, I don't think he's a, a, a great linebacker, not, not among the better linebackers in the league, but, it, but he's a solid second or third guy probably on, on a lot of these teams. He had 83 tackles last year. 
Uh, they also have a, another guy who started at least part-time, Raymond Davidson, 69 tackles last year. Um, then they have a couple of Polynesian kids, Aisa Tonga Lavea. Lavaya? Not helping him. Sorry. Not, yeah, that's Hamil- all you. Hamilton and, Hamilton and Noah. And Noah, yeah. 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 So, um, you know, no, nothing, nothing special here, but it's not a group that's, uh, you know, completely overmatched, I wouldn't say. So Cal's off the board at 10. That leaves Oregon State and Arizona. And I'll take the Beavers on the strength of Manase Hungalu's return. He had 83 tackles last season. Arizona really doesn't have anyone who stands out at all. Oregon State's linebacker corp, corpse loses its linebacker core, excuse me, loses its leading tackler, <laughs> Caleb Salo. And uh, the Beavers don't return much there. They've got a few guys, Wesley Payne, Jonathan Willis, that they're hoping to get some production from. So I'll take them 11th. And Chris, you have the distinction of drafting the Arizona Wildcats 12th. And who? Is it part of that linebacker core? I don't know. Are they still in the Pac-12? <laughs> um, and they also lost most of their players from yeah. last year's team at linebacker, and it wasn't a good defense to start with. Um, some of the guys coming back, Brandon Rutt, Tristan Cooper, DeAndre Miller, John Kenny, Anthony Mariscal. And, and so uh, DeAndre Miller I liked in high school. I, he d- hasn't really materialized into what I necessarily anticipated it would. Uh, Brandon Wright, I think, was actually uh, a pretty decent player, something that they probably are expecting to uh, stabilize their, their linebacker unit. But this is, this is a, a group that leaves a lot to be desired. So let's recap that draft order. Washington was the first overall pick on the strength of Keyshawn Bieria and Azeem Victor's return. Chris had the second pick. He took USC, Cameron Smith, the headliner of that group. I took Stanford third, Joey Alfieri, and I'm expecting big things from freshman Curtis Robinson. Uh, Chris went fourth and took Arizona State, Karan Crump, DJ Calhoun, and Christian Sam all back for the Sun Devils. I went with Oregon in the fifth slot, Troy Dye and Jimmy Swain. Chris took Colorado in the sixth slot with Rick Gamboa and Addison Gillum coming back. In the seventh slot, I went with Washington State, Peyton Polaire and Isaac Dotson returning. In the eighth pick, Chris took UCLA with Kenny Young coming back. The ninth slot, I took Utah with Tautioli and Luafata Saga. Chris took Devontae Downs and Cal 10th. I took Manase Hangalu 11th, and Chris took Arizona 12th. So that rounds out the draft order for the linebackers. Pretty deep conference in terms of the linebacker units here. Yeah, it, this this wasn't as hard to rank and it's because we had a lot more familiarity with the players. Yeah, the the challenge is when it's a bunch of guys who have never played before and you're going off of spring practice reporting which is uh, pretty random because it, it, it all comes down to how honest coaches are about their team uh, to be frank. But uh, I wish I could somehow combine my players into one all-star group. You know, because yeah. We could get some pretty good teams out of Cam that. Cam Smith and Kenny Young. Yeah. A Christian. Karan Crump. Karan Crump. Yeah. Christian Sam would come off the bench. Yeah. So that, <laughs> that wouldn't be bad. But yeah. um, I'd yeah. probably honestly just start the Washington Huskies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't blame you, especially because they have great familiarity, familiarity with one another. So, uh, you know, point is, though, there's quite a bit of talent at linebacker. I think it's probably going to be end up being one of the better position groups in the Pac-12 to watch this season. So let's flip things over to the defensive side of the ball. Plenty of Pac-12 talent went in this year's NFL draft. We'll recap a bit of that as we choose the players who are left over for the 2017 season. And Chris, you're on the clock with the first overall pick. 
there's no music that comes along with that? Mm, I can edit it in later, but that's highly doubtful. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to actually go with USC on this, number one. It, I, I kind of struggled between the two LA schools. I thought their starting talent was pretty comparable. I think USC probably has a little bit more depth. They have more options that I like there. And of course, they are losing Adore Jackson, who I frankly thought was a little bit of an overrated player. Mm-hmm. He was the, the, the defensive player in the year in the Pac-12. and Plenty of other options who could have won that award. I like Chidobe Ouzie. Hunter Dimmick. Hunter D- Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, gosh. Or rather, uh, there were, you could have made a first team all conference list and left Adore Jackson off of it in yeah. the defensive backfield. Oh, I, I would have yeah. definitely done so with Washington and Colorado's defensive backs. Mm-hmm. So Sidney Jones, Kevin King. Oh, it was great. They, they lost a lot. But so the Trojans, uh, they also lost Leon McQuay. He was a part-time starter who was kind of in and out of there. Uh, but when you look at who they have coming back, it's a lot of talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Iman Marshall, of course, he was a former five-star, had three picks and eight passes defended. I don't think he's going to be a drop-off to, from a to where Jordan Jackson was last year. And when they started on opposite sides of the field, they got Isaiah Langley. That's a guy I really liked as a prospect. Chris Hawkins, Marvell Tell, more than capable of starting effectively at this level. Jonathan Lockett, I think, is a good player who's sort of coming into his own. Uh, and then Ajene Harris is a solid player as well. Um, you go across this unit, a bunch of guys that have played quite a bit, three guys who will have around 50 tackles, um, passes defended, some interceptions, the athleticism is there. Uh, it, it's a good, deep, broad, talented group. Yeah, you went back and forth on that with USC and UCLA. I firmly had USC in my top slot, and I firmly have UCLA in my number two slot here. That's where I will pick the Bruins. UCLA was third in the Pac-12 last season, allowing just 210 passing yards per game. They do lose Randall Goforth and Fabian Moreau, but they return quite a bit of talent as well. Adarius Pickett, who I like as a slot corner. Nate Metters is back. Jaleel Wadud, a multi-year starter in that secondary. John Johnson and Octavius Spencer as well. Wadud had 76 tackles four passes defended. Pickett was solid last year. Three picks, five passes defended. And Metters had six passes defended as well. So I like what the UCLA Bruins have depth-wise. Obviously, in my opinion, not as deep as what USC brings to the table in the defensive backfield. And I don't think as much high-end talent, but it's a really solid group that's going to give opposing quarterbacks fits next season. A pretty easy pick at number two. Um, I think it got a lot tougher for me mm-hmm. here. And, and, and really... It's almost like throw a bunch of teams in a a hat and pick out a a name. I ended up going with Stanford, third overall. You look at the team collectively, fifth in the league, 223 yards allowed in in, in passing. They they lose Zach Hoffpower and Dallas Lloyd, but I don't think those were their athletic players. They were just more stable, average, run-of-the-mill guys that had a lot of experience. I think they're probably going to be improved from an athletic standpoint this year. Quentin Meeks, I absolutely love. I think this is a guy who will be an emerging star in the Pac-12 this season. Great combination of size and mobility, and he thinks the game at a really high level. Um, Justin Reed last year was on the field quite a bit, 55 tackles, seven passes defended. They also have Denzel Franklin and Alamine Murphy. Um, I think both of those guys are, are going to have to prove themselves. I'm not really sure what to make on that part of it yet, but the top two players that they have are really, really solid. 
I look for Quentin Meeks to potentially threaten to be a first-team All-League player this year. I like that. I really like Quentin Meeks as well. So you're taking Stanford third. I'll go with Washington fourth. Perhaps I'm taking the Huskies a bit high. They do lose Kevin King. They lose Sidney Jones. And they lose Buda Baker. All three of those guys were top top three-round draft picks, if I'm not mistaken. And really all could have been top two-round draft picks if, uh, if not for the injury that Jones suffered as well. So I'll take the Huskies on the strength of returning safeties. Uh, JoJo McIntosh and Taylor Rapp. Rapp was... Uh, freshman or Pac-12 freshman of the year on defense last year and I read a lot of Seattle Times content because I I really like what Adam Jude does up there and he's written a lot about Byron Murphy and Chris Peterson is high on Byron Murphy ASU fans are familiar with him five-star recruit out of Saguaro who ended up choosing the Huskies over ASU he's expected to step into a big role this season and fill in at the cornerback position so McIntosh 67 tackles last year Rapp had four interceptions we said it was very similar to Kareem Orr's freshman season a lot of right place right time picks and then Murphy as well Ezekiel Turner and Jordan Miller expected to add depth in that defensive backfield yeah I always wonder about how much of it is coaches trying to speak things into existence and you know is Byron Murphy really that good or is it the coaches know that they need him to step up mm-hmm. and so they they uh, give a lot of positive affirmation in that direction <laughs> that's true how, how much of it is reporters who see okay this is a, a top 100 type recruit Therefore, he's the guy that's going to be the guy. And then that sort of conveys through to the copy that's written about players. I think there's a combination of factors that go in there. And so we'll have to see how Murphy does. I also would be remiss if I didn't mention Jimmy Lake. Oh, I love Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, we have to talk about Jimmy Lake. Come on, man. You got to mention, you got to mention, Jimmy Lake's a stud. Yeah, that's why I have Washington fourth. It's actually all just because of Jimmy Lake. Yeah, I mean, Jimmy Lake's future is very bright. I, I, I'm interested to see kind of where his career goes from here. Um, so I had Colorado ahead of Washington. Okay. I thought it was, you know, I thought it was close. Obviously, Colorado loses the most in the league. Well, Washington and Colorado. Yeah, Utah also loses a ton. But not as much. Not as, as much. Not as much. <laughs> uh, Forget Col- that. <laughs> Colorado loses Akilah Witherspoon, Chidobe Awuze, and Tedrick Thompson. Yeah. I mean, that's three. And Jim Levitt. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, that's the biggest loss yeah. is Jim Levitt. So that's, that's three just absolutely terrific members of their secondary um, but even even so, uh, Afalobi Laguda and Isaiah Oliver are really good players. Laguda, 69 tackles last year, two for loss, three passes, defended. Uh, he looked very much in his element when he was on the field. A- another versatile player. I think he can play safety, nickel, maybe even bounce outside and play some corner like uh, Colorado used Awuzie. Uh, not probably to that degree. And then you have Isaiah Oliver, a hometown product here out of uh, Brophy Prep. Mm-hmm. Uh, ASU did not offer him and, and, and regrets that, I'm sure, at this point because uh, last year as a young talent, he looked like one of the more emerging players as a defensive back. He had seven passes defended last year, played a lot of nickel. I think that he's going to roll into being a mainstay corner in this league pretty successfully. Has the height, length, and comfort comfort that you look for 
with his back to the football. So I went with Colorado in that pick. Quick Isaiah Oliver story. Jake Garcia and I were out covering uh, Brophy. I believe it was Oliver's junior season in high school. Yeah. And that was when Connor Murphy was a big recruit. Kevin was actually out there as well. Kevin Stewart was out there covering Brophy one night. And Connor Murphy was out there, and he made a few plays. But Isaiah Oliver was clearly the best player on the field on both sides of the ball as a wide receiver, as a defensive back. And he had a big game returning the football as well. So how ASU missed that? I'm not sure. See, I think the the one game that I went to go see Brophy that year, he was hurt or something, and mm-hmm. and he just and he didn't have that type of a game. But uh, he looked good on film, and and it's you know you can't really miss on guys that are that close to home when when they're able to be productive at a at a place like Colorado. So Colorado off the board fifth, and I will take the Oregon Ducks sixth. Oregon was tenth in the conference last year at 272 passing yards allowed per game, but they do return a few key players, including Arian Springs, who has the potential to be a really solid cornerback in the Pac-12. He had 12 passes defended last season. They return safety Brendan Schooler, who I really like, similar to a Jordan Simone type, not a, a plus athlete, but very instinctual, makes a lot of plays back there. Khalil Oliver, Ugo Amadi, Tyree Robinson, and Malik Lovett all back for Oregon. The only player they really lose off that defense is Reggie Daniels. So as we've mentioned time and time again on this podcast, Oregon has been horribly coached on defense over the past few seasons. Don Pelham was the defensive coordinator there. Then Brady Hoke, who was essentially just mailing it in. He had his U.S. Postal Service uh, (laughs) application on his desk. And now they've got Jim Levitt, who I think is... You know, we've mentioned his name 17 times on this podcast already. I think he wants to get a head coaching gig again sometime. Did you have that one written out in advance or did, did you just come off the top of the head? Oh, the U.S. Postal Service? Yeah. No, I've, I've, I've got that one in my, in my okay. back pocket. I, I thought maybe, maybe so. Um, so uh, I actually had Washington State ahead of Oregon. I, I thought, uh, you know, again, it's, it's kind of close splitting hairs maybe at this point. Washington State to me is kind of, Last year is kind of what ASU maybe hopes to be this year. A, a lot of well, that's not going to happen. But go on. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm saying that's kind of probably what their goal would be because they didn't have uh, Shalom Luani was a very good player, but they didn't really have these great standout individual efforts. But they played smart in the right way. It wasn't like it was a great passing defense. They're ninth in the league, but their offense was so potent that they tended to get in some of these higher scoring affairs. But I like some of their talent, Carrie. I, I look at Robert Taylor. Uh, I thought he was really good last year. Um, uh, Jalen Thompson. I, I like Marcellus Pippins. Marcellus Pippins was good. So, and what what they are is they're they're these versatile defensive backs. They play a lot of uh, mixed coverages, and and uh, those guys are communicate well in the back end. They execute reasonably well. A lot of it, of course, is because they go up against their own offense and practice all the time. So they have great experience at being able to handle the speed, the pace, the route structures, you know, being all, um, throwing a myriad of, uh, of guys out there. And um, so they're very proficient. So, so I, I, in Pippins, Thompson, Taylor, Darian Moulton, they have guys who have actually been on the field quite a bit. Do they have the huge numbers to show for it? Not really, but uh, from a, and, and they're not going to be, you know, probably first, second team, all league players, but I actually don't have any sort of a problem with the talent that they have. We thought there was a clear one two USC and UCLA up there. Then we really got jumbled in the middle there. Three through seven, you can kind of 
pick pick a few different teams there, see who you like, see that there's talent on different teams. And now that we get toward the bottom of the conference, I think we're going to start agreeing on pretty much everything from here on out. I'll take Cal 8th because just, Justin Wilcox, the new head coach there, has some pieces to work with in the defensive backfield. They do lose Kerry Vanderbilt, but we weren't that high on him. They return Marlashawn Franklin. They return Luke Rebenzer, Darius Allensworth. They've got Jalen Hawkins, who's going to be a redshirt freshman. He was a big recruit for them. And Cal was only 7th last season in Pac-12 and passing yards allowed per game at 245. That, of course, is because teams should only have run the ball against the Bears. But it'll be interesting to see if they take a step forward under Wilcox. Absolutely. Wilcox, you would think, is going to be able to elevate that group and get them to play a lot more seamlessly as a unit. So whether that's able to come to fruition or not, I'm not sure. And, of course, it depends in part on the talent that they have to, to work with. But there's at least enough there where maybe he's going to be able to, to, to put something together. Um, ninth pick, right? I, I, I went with Utah. Um, again, we know that they lost Marcus Williams. Um, you know, he's a really talented player, but also lost Brian Allen, uh, Reginald Porter, Justin Thomas, four guys in the secondary uh, who played quite a bit. The, their, their key guy that they're returning, of course, is Chase Hansen. Uh, he had 90 tackles last year, uh, filled up the stat line. This is a guy who can come up against the run. He'll make tackles. He'll get to strip the ball. Um, he can you know, pick you off in, in different situations. Not a great athlete, but I think he handles uh, everything that they like to do schematically uh, well for, for Utah. The, the, the challenge is that there's not a lot built around him. So you're, you're picking a lot of unknown when you have – other guys, Jordan Fogle and Bobby Hobbs, um, Booby Hobbs, pardon me, who I, I watched. I remember watching his film as a recruit, and I, I liked him actually a fair amount. I thought that was a good get for Utah, but whether or not that's going to uh, now uh, emerge on the field is, is sort of hard to predict. Um, I didn't really follow too much of Utah's spring coverage. They've got two recruits that ASU was uh, trying to trying to nail down. Oh, they have the Tariq Lewis, mm-hmm. the kid, the JUCO player at a, at a actually ASU decided not to take them apparently but Tariq Lewis is a guy that I think his film was great and has the ability to actually come in and start right away as a cornerback so that that also could elevate the, the unit one thing that I like about Utah their defensive coordinator Morgan Scally was a longtime defensive backs coach there he's in his ninth season and you always see the Utes are well coached uh, in the back end of the defense. So Utah going ninth. I'll take Oregon State 10th, and perhaps we've undervalued Oregon State because this is a Beavers defense that was fourth in the Pac-12 last season in passing yards allowed per game at just 211 yards allowed. And they do lose Tristan Deku and Devin Chappelle, who are the two of their top defensive backs from a season ago, but they return Xavier Crawford and Brandon Arnold, who were two starters in that defensive backfield. Uh, Crawford had 70 tackles, 10 passes defended. Arnold had 68 tackles, an interception and a pass defended last year so Oregon State maybe we're undervaluing them didn't watch a lot of them last year I'll take them 10th so if you are kind of checking off the schools <laughs> at this I know where this is going at this point um, or maybe you're not checking them off but you're just sort of thinking to yourself I haven't heard about Arizona and ASU yet and there's only two schools left so by process of deductive reasoning and elimination <laughs> Uh, we're going to go with the two local schools. Um, I don't think anybody really wants either of their secondaries. <laughs> Do we have a tie for 11th here? You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> can, you, can, you, can you pass? We'll just shout it out at the same time <laughs> or something. Uh, you know, I think, I think if ASU had Armand Perry, maybe ASU mm-hmm. 
is a very easy pick at 11th or maybe even moves up a spot or two. I don't know. Um, but with the, the loss of Armand Perry, uh, I think it, it, it becomes kind of an open question mark. Uh, I'm actually going to take ASU 11th over Arizona. Uh, I think Kareem Orr is, is coming into his own and should be a very solid player. Marcus Ball, last uh, half uh, of the, the 2016 season, was ASU's leading tackler. So I think at least you have two players that you should get you know, reasonably solid play from. The, the guys around that, I'm not sure about. ASU does have some uh, higher-profile recruits coming in, a couple of junior college guys who may be able to make an impact. Um, there's there's you know, some, some various possibilities that, that exist there. Um, but by nature of having ASU 11th, uh, we also don't have high expectations for this group. No, we don't. I'll take Arizona 12th. Uh, oh, really? In a shocking twist of events. Wow. The Wildcats return Demetrius Flanagan Fowles, a guy who I really like on that defense. I think he's Me the too. Best, he's, I think he's the best player on that defense and probably one of the best players on that team altogether. 78 tackles last season, four for a loss, two interceptions, six passes defended. They also returned Jace Whitaker, Isaiah Hayes, Dane Cruikshank. Uh, he had seven passes defended last season. Chacho Uloa is a recruit that they were high on. So... Arizona 12th, they were 11th last season in passing defense, allowing 275 yards per game through the air. To put that into perspective, ASU was 12th, allowing 357 passing yards per game. Would, would you say that ASU could use every in-state defensive back who's good that it could get its hands on? Yeah, for the next five recruiting cycles. Well, and probably <laughs> for the last five. Yes. Right? And, yes, absolutely. And, and yet... Darius Flanagan Fowles uh, out of Tucson, mm-hmm. but he camped at ASU, uh, didn't get an ASU offer ever in the process, ended up committing to Arizona. I'm not sure exactly when he did so, but I watched his film and I said to myself, ASU has to offer this guy. Mm-hmm. Didn't happen. And then also Isaiah Oliver yes. didn't offer. And so that's where you have some questions about your process like you got two in-state guys who are easily capable of being good starters in the Pac-12 that you didn't offer and meanwhile you need all the help that you could get at secondary and you've had a bunch of misses and that's that's a that's a little bit of a red flag for ASU but um that's a little bit of a segue aside uh, and and, uh, we've wrapped up the linebackers and the defensive backs, right? Yeah. Well, if you're interested in that process and what goes into that, you have to subscribe to sundevilsource.com if you have not done so already. Plenty of recruiting content coming out throughout the summer. Chris, you've already released the quarterback and running back uh, overviews of who ASU was offered in the 2018 class and the big board will be formed over the summer. And fans will have a lot of information to work with for the 2018 recruiting class as Todd Graham tries to save himself at this program. Yeah. And, you know, I just would say this isn't um, uh, 2020 hindsight. Like we were talking about these guys Mm -hmm. at the time. And so that's kind of where the value comes in uh, to the side is is having those sorts of conversations uh, contemporaneously. So to recap our draft order for the defensive backfields, I'll run through it real quick. USC was one, UCLA two, Stanford three, Washington four, Colorado five, Oregon six, Washington State seven, Cal eight, Utah nine, Oregon State 10, ASU climbing up to the 11th slot, and Arizona 
rounds it out at 12. So that will do it for this week's edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. For SunDevilSource.com publisher Chris Cartman, I'm your host, Kerry Crowley. Thank you so much for tuning in.